Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Dream Job Ready. My name is Dane Sharp. I'm your host, and my guest for this episode is Dr. Samir Dixit a biomedical scientist and the Director of Research with the Centre of Molecular Dynamics Nepal. Dr Dixit has spent more than 12 years transforming public health in Nepal and around the world, leading pioneering biomedical research to shape more effective responses to infectious diseases and viruses and better combat complex global health challenges. His organisation is recognised as an international leader in the study of viruses, such as TB, HIV, influenza and hepatitis. Right now he's playing a key role globally and locally in Nepal in the detection, research and reaction to COVID-19. My interview with Samir took place on April 1st via Zoom. I'm thankful he gave up some time to speak with me because while I'm doing my small part, staying at home and keeping isolated here in Sydney, Australia, he's in Kathmandu, actually working on the issue. He's jumping in and out of critical meetings with the World Health Organization, the Nepali government, and a stack of other scientists working to provide expertise on all matters related to coronavirus. Right after our Zoom call, Samir was set to join a meeting with the Ministry of Health. Now, while I'm hesitant to call any job directly related to a pandemic such as coronavirus a dream job, I was very keen to speak with Samir for three key reasons. Firstly, I imagined for a scientist or a researcher of his kind that this sort of issue and global health matter is exactly why they've worked so hard and studied so hard throughout their careers. Dealing with this type of thing is new and crazy to most of us, but this is his work, this is his profession, this is what he does on the daily. Just like we all need to be dream job ready for when our next career opportunity comes knocking, Dr Dixit and his peers need to be prepared and job ready for when this sort of virus rocks the world. We talk plenty about COVID-19 in the interview and Samir shares some really valuable insights about this virus and other diseases he's an expert on. And he really opens up about what it's like to work in the industry professionally. The second reason I was so keen to speak with Samir relates directly to the Centre of Molecular Dynamics Nepal, or CMDN for short. It's an independent, not-for-profit organisation that employs more than 60 researchers and staff in Nepal. And as I mentioned before, it's recognised as an international leader in the study of viruses and disease. For science or biomed students or anyone starting out their health careers, the CMDN is a must-follow organisation that offers the type of dream jobs I imagine anyone researching health and disease would aspire to. If that's you, Samir shares some great advice in this episode about the types of studies and career pathways that will help you succeed, and also welcomes the opportunity for you to connect with him if you're interested in this line of work. I've included his best contact info in the podcast description. Reason number three, put simply, is passion. Your job will never be a dream job unless you absolutely love it and have a deep passion for whatever you're working on. 
It's crystal clear that Samir loves science and has a passion for biomedical research. He works hard, he's dedicated, and he has the type of excited curiosity you need to be a leader in your chosen profession. It's worth noting here that he's also got passions outside of the lab too. If you can believe it, he's a co-host of popular television breakfast show Good Morning Nepal, and he's also a celebrated actor and producer. His film Highway was the first Nepalese production ever to be screened at the Berlin International Film Festival. As if he's not busy enough researching the world's most deadliest viruses, yeah? If you can't already tell, I feel honoured to have had Dr Dixit as a guest on Dream Job Ready, especially right now with everything going on. And I hope you get as much out of this interview as I did. So let's get into it. This is Dream Job Ready with Dr Samir Dixit. Please note that the opinions of guests are their own and not those of the companies they have worked for. So then thank you very much for having me, first of all. Uh, so I'm a, you know, I'm an infectious diseases research scientist in Nepal. Uh, my, my education background is just that. I'm a life sciences um, uh, professional. Now I'm applying my life sciences uh, knowledge to public health uh, in Nepal. And uh, to coming back to your question, uh, you know, infectious diseases, you know, are a problem in Nepal like many other developing countries and especially with COVID going on right now. So I'm, you know, I'm the government team and I'm trying to initiate a couple of research projects. I'm looking into COVID and Nepal and trying to collaborate with uh, international scientists and, and also advising the Nepal government um, by being part of the team, uh, by being a member of a team uh, led by Ministry of Health and Population. And uh, I've just been invited yesterday by the Minister for Science and Technology who called me personally yesterday and asked me if I wanted to be in a high-level team uh, that the Ministry of Science and Technology is trying to initiate for COVID also. So all these things are happening around me and uh, it's, it's, it's pleasantly, I mean, not surprising, but it's, um, you know, it's, it feels good. It's, it feels very good um, and that's keeping me busy. Great, mate. Obviously, my podcast series, um, you know, aims to speak with people that have dream jobs and are in, you know, careers mm-hmm. and work situations that, you know, the rest of us aspire to and dream about and, you know, work our asses off to try and get. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that anyone working on coronavirus right now is, is in a dream job necessarily because obviously the, right. you know, the world's got some huge issues. But I must say, you know, looking at how much study you did, you know, at university and through all your degrees you've done, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, you know, the amount mm-hmm. of work you've done and obviously starting the organisation you have, like mm-hmm. this kind of situation that's going on around the world must be almost what you're working towards to, to avoid probably, but you must be working to this kind of situation, right? Yeah. So, you know, I might sound like a sadist, you know, and I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be a sadist, but you know, infectious diseases, you know, excite me because and especially the epidemiological part as to understanding what, what the pathogens are doing, you know, how they occur in the society, what impact they have in the society and the public, you know, these are, there's a lot of detective work going on. And like, for example, with the COVID, like, you know, it's four months old. We know so little about this new, well, mutated strain of Corona, right? And uh, it's so interesting to find out what's going on, what's really going on, right? And they're developing, developed country scientists bring out all these facts and figures. And then we scientists in the developing side of the world try to understand, well, does that relate to my part of the world, right? Is it exactly what they're saying? For example, you have all this mortality happening in, I'm just giving an example, USA, uh, Spain, uh, Europe and uh, America, 
but yet in Nepal, we are, or other developing countries, we're seeing infections, but the mortality is quite low. So the question is, you know, like questions like that, like, why, you know, is it that we're not seeing, or is there something else going in the population? Stuff like that, you know, that's what uh, I love uh, about my job is trying to understand, is there something else going on besides what we read, or maybe we're missing something completely, or maybe we know something more than we should. So uh, this is the exciting part of my job. And that's, I mean, with uh, not just COVID, any other diseases that you know, affect our country, uh, these are the questions uh, I like to ask. I mean, could you give us a read about the current situation in Nepal? You're, you're joining me via Zoom right now. I'm obviously in Sydney. We're in, we're in lockdown. Right. Um, there's... You know, mixed mixed messages yeah, in the media. Yeah, Some yeah. media is saying we we are starting yeah. to flatten the curve. Others aren't. What, what's the situation in Nepal, mate? Because it, it looks yeah. like online you haven't been as impacted as some other areas. Yeah, it's hotly debated topic, mate. Here also, and we are on lockdown. Also, we have been on lockdown for the last seven days, and government just extended that by another eight days until next Wednesday, and then the, the flights, international flights, will be extend. Uh, the, the lockdown for the international flights will be extended further. Uh, four to five days after that. So basically we are same as you guys, the rest of the world. But interestingly, we are on lockdown with only four cases. In fact, the government locked us down uh, or we locked ourselves down after only three cases. So then two more cases have popped up after that. But uh, yeah, so it's, uh, well, it's been over a week since the lockdown started. And in that lockdown period, we really only increased the uh, new cases by two. And, and then that's, that's why it's debated as to uh, are we in a position or are, should, we, should we be locked down? And uh, the answer it, uh, seems to come from the World Health Organization suspicion that if something like what's happening in Europe and America were to happen in developing countries such as Nepal, we would not be able to handle the influx of the severely sick, uh, the, the ones that require hospitalizations. So can we handle that? And the World, World Health Organization doesn't f- seem to think that we can. So that's why I think it's more of a precautionary lockdown rather than a situation-based lockdown. But yeah, so we have so far no official mortality and officially only five cases. And one part of the debate is that maybe our testing is not as good or as efficient as we'd like to think. That's why we might be missing cases. And the other part also is that we are not testing as many cases as we should. I mean, we only have tested about close to 1,000 so far. And... uh, uh, out of 1,000, as I said, there's just been five that have tested positive. So there's a lot of uh, question marks going around in Nepal right now, but then the, but then we haven't seen any extra influx of dead cases in any of the hospitals in Nepal. It's very hard to find out what's going on. I completely understand it, and obviously, you know, that's great news, but to, to your... Um to your comment before, you know, you, you've obviously got an inquisitive mind and an interest and a passion, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, about this whole situation. And that's what, you know, I think we'll really get into along the way because, um, you know, mm-hmm. any student that's out there obviously studying, um, you know, similar studies to what you have or, or starting their profession, um, you know, that that curiosity is obviously a, a key driving and motivating factor in many careers, uh, no matter what the uh, profession or the industry mm-hmm. is, right? Um, and, you know, and, and, and talking about being kind of job ready, you, you mentioned before you've got a meeting um, coming up today, I believe, with the Ministry of Health. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- mm-hmm. how, how ready are you for that meeting? How ready is your organisation to, to, to help uh, with this whole situation? So, uh, so we are ready. Uh, in fact, our, my lab uh, in, uh, helped government diagnose or detect the first ever case of COVID in Nepal. 
Wow. So we, um, uh, at that time, the government lab was not uh, well uh, positioned or well prepared. So they asked for our help and our lab actually had some um, WHO recommended uh, detection kits with us. Wow. So we um, did the testing and then subsequently we provided the kits to the government and then they did the work. Now they have, you know, they have su sufficient and they've got their own supplies and all that. So we are prepared and we have uh, had multiple meetings with the ministry and we've told them that you know, we are in a position to help them whatever they want. And in fact, we just help them uh, strengthen uh, semi-autonomous uh, teaching hospital in Eastern Nepal with our supplies and with our human resource support. So we are in a position to, um, we have been in a position to support the government uh, or anyone else for the last 12 years, really. But yeah. uh, in the last five years, we have become quite a um, uh, well, well uh, respected organization in not just Nepal, but worldwide um, in the area of uh, emerging diseases and other um, infectious diseases, research and surveillance. Yeah, so if you, if you could explain a little bit more about what your um, you know, the Centre for Molecular Dynamics Nepal does, because um, as you said, that you've had this organisation for over over 12 years now, right? Uh, you're a founding member yeah. of that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I believe you employ, um, you know, over 50, 60 different researchers and staff. So, you know, I'd love to yeah. hear both about the organisation itself and also um, just about the staff and the researchers you have. And, and, and most importantly for my podcast, how does someone get a job with you? Yeah, so our organisation is not just for scientists because we have, um, you know, people from management, we have people from, uh, you know, uh, finance. Because it's an organisation. Everyone has to put their parts. We have life sciences um, experts, we have sociologists, we have public health experts in our team, uh, and we have management experts. Uh, but the lab, the actual lab, is what drives us forward because we are essentially, we are, even though we're a public health driven organization, our lab is our strength. And for our lab, we have all the, uh, all the life sciences um, graduates uh, who do the work. And uh, for, in order to work with us, we don't usually, we, in fact, we don't. Uh, taking uh, undergraduates, uh, we only take postgraduates. And even then, we have uh, very uh, stringent requirements. And uh, usually, you know, we have a lot of um, applications when we do request an uh, application for a job. Unfortunately, we can't give job to everyone. So we have to be very careful how we select. And our background has to be life sciences. We need some level of you know, molecular knowledge. In fact, if not all, uh, because we are a molecular lab. That means DNA, RNA, that sort of work, and um, we are we do not we do also require you know the people that are in our team don't have to have world class experience, but we do um, look for individuals you know who have a, this big passion for doing the kind of things we do. Because with so many life sciences graduates every year, everyone wants to work you know with us you know because of reputation, but we also have to be careful who we get in. Of we course. train them. Uh, we train them over three to six months as they work with us. But, uh, you know, we also need to be sure that, you know, how, uh, how, how, uh, how they are ready to take any responsibilities. Our machines are expensive and <laughs> one mistake and our machine can go, you know, all sorts of things we have to think about. But uh, it's a, for anyone that has worked with us, and I'm sure my staff uh, can one day vouch for that, is, is, is they, the, the experience that they get from working with us has taken them to universities at Oxford and all that, uh, all the international uh, universities around the world. So, yeah, it appears that you know what we take from them, we also give back to them, and for them also, it's a very exciting part of their life journey to be working with us. 
Oh, a hundred percent. And I'm sure um, out of those, all those different employees and all the different departments you have, both in the lab and also out in the, I guess the, um, you know, the, the business engine room, um, are they coming from all over the world um, to, to your organization uh, or do you try and hire um, locally as much as possible? Yeah. So, so hiring is only local. I mean, we, we have That's to be awesome. careful because unfortunately it's not, it's, it's not really our, our drive to have only local, but unfortunately in Nepal, science and technology is such a look. Well, it's not really looked at as a priority. It's not. It's an unprioritized area, mm-hmm. and we are trying to prioritize this area. And as such, there are very few organizations um, that actually cater to this um, uh, market of science and technology. And I say market because obviously we have to give services, right? Yes. So because of that, there are very few jobs available for science and technology graduates in Nepal, and we are I suppose one of the leading ones that you know taking extensively science graduates. And uh, again, we have to, um, uh, with such a low job market, if we don't cater to the local um, uh, graduates and start taking foreigners, you know, we, we don't look like we're promoting our local, you know, uh, science, you know, students and science graduates. So we have to cater to that. But we do have science students from all over the world, especially Australia. The, I'll have to focus on that also. And US and Europe. Uh, coming to us, spending four to six weeks as part of the internship for the, either global health or science or whatnot, and do the work that we are currently doing. So we get the, those students regularly in our organization. That, that's awesome, mate. And, and how, how would a student organize that uh, type of um, experience? Is it is it university locked? Like, is there certain universities or colleges that you work with, or, or is it a, a potential opportunity that anyone, um, you know, so, uh, studying bio? biotech or, or um, any kind of molecular sciences could chase up if they if they wanted to? Perhaps anyone. Uh, we do have a certain university that keep on coming back to us, yep. but uh, it's an open initiative. It means uh, the, the, the person, the, the student can contact us, but we do require that they have some university or academic linkage because then it has to be organization to organization agreement, right? So they come in, they first, you know, find out information from us. And then if they're interested, they have to go through the university and then link us up with them. And then, you know, we uh, plan out everything and that's how it's worked so far. And uh, we have, yeah, it's a very open process. They can just contact us uh, at CMDN and then uh, we take it from there. And uh, we have a team set aside just to uh, cater to those students wanting to get some experience in a, in a developing country settings, but with access to high-tech lab and also the uh, you know the reality at the ground and the field so we give them both experiences mate you've been in this game uh, for, for a long time now um, and we'll talk through a little bit more uh, about some of the other um, you know research and work that you do across you know things like hepatitis um, HIV etc um, I was just curious you know we're, we're talking about jobs and, and, and I guess um, you know coming into this industry does a does an event like this with COVID nineteen, whether it's a crisis or something amazing in a different, uh, you know, different time, does it? Does an event like this spur you think more interest in people to go and study this kind of um, this kind of field and, and and want to work in this kind of field? Do you think? Yeah, I think one is a situation, and also other other is the people that are involved in this. For example, uh, many people, uh, uh, many students, young students have come up to me in recent times. Well in the last five, seven years, they say, you know, we make science look exciting. We've, we give science something to, you know, so, so young students in science looks 
for something exciting in the future careers, right? Sure. Now here we are doing some detective work, trying to understand disease, epidemiology, and they are scientists and there's a life science background. So all of a sudden, science is no longer boring for them. Sure. So we're not producing anything. We're not really producing from scratch in our organization. Although we do have a, a vaccine for some chicken diseases that we're trying to work with the government, with the scientists in Australia and Netherlands. However, those are like pre pre prepared, but we try to just develop, form, we try, just try to, uh, I would say, produce here in Nepal. However, stuff like that we do here uh, gives the young scientists, the young researchers, the young students something to look for, forward to in the field of science. So, and especially now, like for example, when you have COVID, when you have dengue outbreaks, which we have we had last year in Kathmandu and surrounding areas, diseases that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we're not even thought about or talked about in the rest of the world, we're starting to see a bit in an increased uh, manner. Then we have uh, diseases such as TB that's always here. In the, it's uh, inherent in the uh, Nepali population. Uh, and cholera, uh, cholera that's always uh, present. So these are examples of what students think they want to be engaged in in Nepal. Sure. And then we give them the opportunity. And what we have done sh has shown the young people of Nepal, young scientists of Nepal, and also region that, hey, you can study science and do some exciting work. Sure, mate. I understand. And let, let's talk about study because, you know, you, you, had, to do your, you had to do your fair share. Uh, I'm not going to lie, you know, I I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I zipped in and did three years at university at UOW to get my journalism degree and then I was out. Um, you know, I look, <laughs> I look at you, mate, you started uh, you started and ended and there's a lot of years in there. Do you want to talk us through what kind of study, um, you yeah. know, someone has, to, someone has to do? So, yeah, so mine has been a bit of an outlier because I did two, two extra years of master's. Uh, uh, but uh, normally, you know, you, you have your undergrad, then you have your postgrad, and then you have your doctorate. So I did all of that, but then I have that two years extra uh, master's uh, at Wollongong University. It just that uh, it so happened that uh, when I joined Wollongong University for my postgrad degree, the, the the first degree I got was still not enough um, for me to think about PhD. And uh, even uh, my supervisor at that time thought, well, there's enough research there, but not the amount of research required for PhD was still not enough based on the curriculum. So that's why I had to go for another uh, one and a half years of um, uh, specialized masters. So, but then not everyone has to do that. So basically, you know, to, you have to put in, you know, education. If you want to uh, do something, you know, substantial in the field of science, if you want to start, if you want to lead rather than just follow, that education is very important in science. And this is what kind of defines science from, uh, I suppose, other other fields of uh, knowledge. Because science is all about understanding a topic to the core. You, you can't get to the core until you start digging. Yeah. And the digging is the study part, right? So, yeah, it might look like a lot of studies, but then the, the more digging you do, the more studying you do, the more you are able to get into the depth of things and understand the situation and the topic better. And then that's, I think, is a pretty important part of science. Oh, completely agree, mate. And, and you know, talking about understanding the, the situation, looking at, at COVID-19, is this is it something that, um, you know, obviously this kind of situation you said excites you and, and, and drives your, um, you know, your, your, um, your passion. Um, do, does this kind of thing scare you or, or are you looking at stuff way worse, than, way worse than this in your lab and it's just, uh, 
just another day at the office. So it's like this. Um, COVID is obviously a serious threat to, you know, people's health, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't say necessary life because we do have see we do have mortality, but then you know the mortality compared to the total number of people infected in the population is quite low. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is it's infecting so many people. That's why people are worried, right? Mm. Uh, it for for me to because again, that's where public health and life sciences kind of separate out. Even though I work in public health, mm-hmm. public health point of view is oh my god, people are getting infected, people are dying. So how what kind of interventions we do? Me as a life science scientist, that look at the virus. Is it mutating? Is it getting worse? And the answer is, it doesn't seem to be the case. Okay. And again, my life science in me, my immunology background tells me, wait, so when you start tapering off, the infections start tapering off, are we getting to herd immunity stage? Is the body's immune system starting to you know, understand this virus better? Or maybe the virus is not uh, mutating to a severe level, but maybe it might be mutated to a lower level you know these kind of things is how i look at the situation and so far from what i see we might be getting towards the lower end of the um, uh, the, the this spread than a top end so i'm actually positive that you know this thing is actually on its way out so but that's why i am not scared because again that life sciences knowledge in me it drives that thought process but a typical public health person who, who doesn't come from a life sciences background or a, or, or a clinician for that matter may see situation as it happens right now. And they look at the trend as it happens right now and they don't know how to what to make out of it. Sure. So, yeah, so for me, having that life science background, I think, is, a, is, is some, somehow uh, an ad- advantage. It, it, it's still, I mean, I use that to my leverage, you know, trying to understand the disease and not be uh, scared. And when it comes to my lab, you know, we are not really doing full-on diagnostics at the moment because government hasn't asked us to do it. Yeah. So they have kind of asked the hospital-based labs to do it because, you know, of the risks and all that and sample delivery, sample. Uh, you need samples, obviously. You need cases to come to the hospital. So the so government is right now only focusing on the hospitals or for ones with fever clinics where the uh, potential, um, uh, you know, infected individuals come in. Yeah. Uh, so we are not a hospital-based lab, so more of a research lab. So... We are on standby, whatever they need us. But uh, right now, uh, we're more focusing on the research side of things in the coming days. No, I, I get it. And and, and just on the re- the research part again, for 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 young you know young scientists, young researchers, um, just getting into their career, where where do you really see the opportunity for young people if they're sort of you know looking at a couple of different options or a couple of different fields to work in? Where, where is where's your um, uh, you know, where do you see the opportunities in the industry you work for? Um, where would you like to see more people and more people putting time in research? So, you know, something we seem to be missing, and I, I, I did used to teach at Catherine University for five years. Uh, so I was involved in, uh, when the university started this department of biotechnology, I was involved in this. So I, when I left, uh, they were full, fully-fledged uh, department, right? Since then, uh, after my friends and I initiated this organization that I'm currently working for and also management, one thing keeps recurring. We have the life sciences people, a lot of the people that work for us, you know, and also in this field, there are a lot of life scientists working in the labs and all that. That's great. But I wish um, some of these life sciences uh, individuals, the background of life science, would also look into uh, having a degree or background in public health also. Okay, so crossing over right now, a bit more. Yeah, like, see, I don't have a public health degree, but I'm in the public health sphere. 
but I'm there because of my interest. And technically a life scientist. If you ask me, are you a public health specialist? I can't say that because my, I'm actually a life scientist. Gotcha. But for the last 10 years, I've been working in public health sphere with my knowledge of life sciences. Now, I wish that, uh, there were more uh, individuals that come into public uh, health sphere with a life sciences background, but with a public health degree also. Mm. So what that gives is uh, a new a vantage point to see public health. Yep. So, the, so for example, uh, right now, the clinicians that are, well, a lot of clinicians with a public health background, that's great. That's the old school thought, you know, like you have a clinician, doctor, who has a public health degree, but they see things only from the clinical background. What if you have life scientists like me with a public health background, understanding the pathogens and the human immunity, how the body interacts with the pathogen, and then how that either goes down to the, uh, the, the community level or doesn't. You see, not because every individual is different. Sure. What you see in Italy or Spain may not be what you see in Kathmandu or um, Nepal. You know, even what you see in Kathmandu may not be something you say. Kathmandu is my city, by the way. Yes. Uh, south of Nepal. So we need to start seeing diseases and outbreaks and pandemics from very localized perspective also. Right. And that is missing. So that's why I wish we could now have more public health professionals that have a not just a clinical background, but also life sciences background and try to see a new way, uh, form a new way of thinking as far as outbreaks and disease and pandemics are concerned. And that is missing. And that's uh, something I would really like to see. That's great advice, mate. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, hopefully anyone listening that's sort of um, you know, really trying to find their way or trying to find that exact purpose um, you know, takes that on board. I think, I think that's... I think there's a there's a there's a lot in there that you could probably take to any industry or any um, uh, field of work. To be honest, I know in in I work in marketing and media, and you know just mm-hmm. to ha- even in that, just to have some sales experience or have some commerce experience or finance experience, and mm-hmm. actually, um, you know, being able to kind of work together as opposed to working in mm-hmm. silo is is obviously so beneficial mm-hmm. to business. So mm-hmm. um, I think you know huge bit of um, huge bit of advice, and I really appreciate that. Um, you mentioned Kathmandu, which you said where you were. I'm gonna I'm gonna take us on a quick tangent because I found this super interesting when I was reading up on you, mate. Um, <laughs> are you you're a host on a television show as well? Is that <laughs> yeah, correct? Like like you're not yeah, busy so, enough, mate. Tell us about that. So you know I. Uh, so we have a you know, Good Morning Nepal, which is a daily live breakfast show. Very short, it's only half an hour. Mm-hmm. So it fits in right between two new sec- segments in Nepal's leading uh, private uh, t- television ch- broadcasting uh, network, Kantipur Television. So I, um, I was uh, invited by the um, people that were in the, the broadcasting uh, uh, in Kantipur Television, the top hierarchy. So they thought I had I don't know, whatever it takes to be in a television and speak out my mind. So I, you know, it was, very, it was two years, almost two and a half years ago now. Wow. And it was a very strange invitation, but for a scientist, you know, but you know, I took it up. I have this thing, tendency, sometimes good, sometimes bad, not to say no to anything. Sure. And uh, <laughs> sometimes it lands me in trouble, but usually it doesn't. So, and I thought, well, you know, why not, you know? Uh, so I joined, and it's been a it's been a great journey so far. So it's a, a live show. You know, we, we stay off um, the pure politics. We talk about uh, current issues, uh, people who are doing great things in the society, awesome. individuals who are trying to get new things done. Uh, we, we, you know, also anything like you know, the people are interested in. We have guests sometimes. Sometimes we just discuss amongst ourselves with them, 
content given to us by our researchers through at three of us, but uh, any two of us will uh, host the program at any given time. So there's always two people in the program. So it's called Good Morning Nepal. So yeah, it's very, it's fun. I I'm enjoying it. It's doing good also in Nepal. That's awesome, mate. I, I can't wait to check it out. Good morning, Nepal. Um, that, that's gold. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, let's talk a little it's bit. Nepali. It's in Nepali, so you may miss uh, some of the things. We did have the Australian ambassador with us um, and also the American ambassador with us. Uh, so we're a multilingual. We do Nepali uh, most of the time, but sometimes English and sometimes Hindi. Where wow. People who could speak a word of Nepali or English, but could speak Hindi, Indian language, come to, come to a show we did in Hindi. So we're pretty flexible. That's great, man. I'll, I'll check it out. I don't unfortunately speak um, any of those languages, but <laughs> I'll, those. I'll enjoy it. Well, I'm English sure. You do. Oh yeah, Engl oh, sorry, you did say English exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, let's. Uh, I'll, I'll bring us back on track a little bit, but I did find that super interesting. Um, so, so congrats, man. It's gold. Um, you know, let, some of the other work that CMDN's doing. Um, you know, mm. talk, let's talk about some of the stuff um, related to uh, animals and, and wildlife. Um, you, know, you, do, you do a lot of work with wildlife conservation, etc. as well, right? Yeah, So, but I must be clear on this. Um, even though the organization does it, I am not involved in it. So okay. I do the public health part of things. My friend uh, Dibesh and his team handle the uh, conservation and the wildlife uh, side of things. Um, okay. So it's like a, we have a division. There are some overlaps, but um, we, I try to stay clear from the uh, purely animal part. But however, I must point out that nowadays it's all about one health. One health means any disease has three components, human, animal, and the environment. So some mm -hmm. of the things, for, for example, my active interest is antimicrobial resistance. So for that, you have to look at animal part of things also. So so in those cases, yes, yeah, so I look at that, but the conservation part, I don't. Okay. My organization does, and we've done a lot of work on that. So, sorry, you're just an antibacterial... Resistance. Resistance, okay. Antimicro antimicrobial resistance is a major issue right now where the antibiotics have stopped working pretty much. Wow, okay. So uh, I, I'm in the government team for that also, and so we try to advise the government, and we try to you know take this issue up to the global... Um, well, the global community, and I've been to a number of conferences worldwide to talk about AMR, which is antimicrobial resistance. So I continue to work on that field also. Yeah. And there, and that's related to infectious disease. Is bacteria any bacterial infection has antibiotic uh, components? So, so being an infectious disease uh, scientist, uh, AMR obviously fits right in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, given your given your travels around the world and, and exposure to you know different organisations, um, you know different um, I guess different fields within those different orga organisations as well. Um, short of uh, someone coming and working with with your organisation, where where would you steer? Where would you tell someone to look right now? What country or um, what area of the world do you think um, you know has a big opportunity for researchers and scientists similar to yourself? If, if they're I able to get that opportunity. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's, it's a global thing. I mean, any country has its own strengths and weaknesses. Like, for example, Nepal or any developing country have our own diseases, you know, that you don't see. Mm. You don't see TB or you don't see, let's say, dengue so much in other, let's say, North America or North, Northern Europe. But we see that, right? Uh, TB is something that, you know, it's inherent in our population, as I explained. And there's so much research that's required. Malaria. I, I mean, like, for example, HIV or hepatitis, you know, there are so many diseases that inherent to a developing country situation as compared to developed country. Now, whereas emerging diseases now, it's in more, looks like it's more in developed country as compared to developing country, right? Sure. Uh, Vector-borne disease is more for tropical countries and in Nepal is, is well, sometimes, you know, included in that. So 
you have to look at what is of interest. So therefore, I think Nepal and many developing countries are excellent uh, areas for uh, vector-borne, infectious, emerging diseases also. So it depends on where you want to go. Like you know, non-communicable disease might be an issue for the developed nations as compared to developing, like cancers, diabetes. However, now Nepal and other developing countries are transiting from, we're going from developing to developed or low income to middle income. Now we're starting to see the disease of the developed countries or the high income countries, like diabetes and cancers are getting pretty prevalent in Nepal also and other developing or low income countries. So it's not, it's hard to say this or that, but then there's a lot of transition happening. And I, if I were to really pinpoint, low income countries is where you can see everything now, whether it's infectious disease, whether it's a non-communicable disease such as cancer, diabetes, and other uh, you know non-infectious diseases. So I would, if I were to really fine tune my public health skills or uh, disease skills, I would focus on the developing country because you see everything. Yeah, now that makes complete sense, mate. Uh, and and just, just let's pretend you could go back 15, 10 years. Um, what, anything you'd do differently? Any any anywhere you'd you'd want to focus differently than you had? I mean, uh, I I would say right now where I'm is exciting. I'm 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 talking to you today because yeah. I obviously I've done something um, co correct. You know, I've been giving interviews in here, there, everywhere kind of things, and I'm in the right place with the right people doing the right thing. So no regrets there. I've never regretted anything in my life. If I were to go back, like you said, 15 years back and do something differently, of course, everyone. If you go back 15 years, you learn from everything. In a hindsight, everything is 2020, right? So mm. if you go back 15 years, say, well, I could have done this thing slightly different so that you could be in an even better position, right? So uh, I might have, nothing. If, if I were to change one thing, I might have tried to get a public health degree also. Okay. Now I keep thinking that, like this is coming back to what I just explained earlier in this podcast, is having that public health degree would allow me to have a bit more insight into some of the things I may not necessarily be exposed to. So even sometimes, even the theory, even if it doesn't appear in real life, the theory is also something that gives you a new idea to explore, right? So I might be missing out on some of the ideas that I may not have been exposed to because there's limited in theory. So maybe having a public health degree might have helped me. So it's a two master's degree in life sciences, one master's degree in life sciences followed by a master's in public health might have been of benefit also. But then again, uh, that doesn't seem to have uh, impacted me too much, but then Okay, going yep. back 15 years, I, I might have done that. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Um, look, we'll, we'll start wrapping this up. I'm very conscious of your time, mate. I know you've got uh, a busy afternoon uh, ahead of you. Um, yeah, we, yeah, absolutely. I do, absolutely, I'm sure. <laughs> mate, we do, a, um, we do a student question of the week um, in, in every podcast. So I'm, I'm going to read this question out. Um, I actually asked a cousin of mine who's, who's at uh, uni at the moment, uh, doing some some different types of global studies, I asked if she had a a friend that had a key question, uh, and this question is from Sarah Jane, and I'll just read it out. So Jer Sarah Jane, should I say, asks, um, "What is the one habit that you have uh, that makes you successful?" Yeah, so um, I uh, thank you, Sarah, for the question. I have many habits. I think oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, yeah, there are many habits we all of us all of us have. But one habit um, I, uh, I have is I challenge everything. I challenge uh, everything that I read. I challenge everything that I hear. I challenge everything that's in the news. I even challenge things I read on peer-reviewed, whether it's nature or science. I challenge that. Not just to 
contradict what the authors are saying or the people are saying, but just to give me something to look at, some, some angle that people may, not, may have missed completely. Uh, and that seems to help me uh, find new research topics mm. and to find new avenues to uh, look at the same issue from a, you know, from a different perspective altogether. So as a scientist, I've been trained to, to you know, challenge, basically. That's what my Australian education did. You challenge. As a scientist, you must challenge. You cannot always accept everything you read, even if it comes in big in journals such as Nature or Science or wherever. You challenge. And I, I do that all the time. Mate, I love that challenge. I think that's um, I think that's universal. It doesn't matter what role you're in. I, I reckon. I think that's a great habit and a and a, and a great mindset. Um, Dr. Samir right, Dixit, I, I really appreciate your time, mate. Um, this has been an awesome talk. It's been super interesting to me. I actually can't wait to go back and listen to it again because there's some stuff that I need to go and look up. Um, mate, leave us on leave us on one thought if you could. What um, for all us listening, all of us that aren't researchers, aren't scientists don't get as excited or don't get excited about this kind of stuff like you do because it's your profession and, and your interest. Um, what can we do? Like what can the general public do to kind of help um, you know, negate these kind of things in the future? Uh, when you say negate, you mean for outbreaks or infectious diseases? Exactly or? right, yes. Yeah. So, you know, let's be clear. I want to kind of uh, just give you a different perspective to that question. I'd love one. Let's accept the fact that these things will happen over and over again. Mm -hmm. In fact, they will happen more frequently. Mm -hmm. uh, emerging diseases are there to stay. And uh, if we run out, if we take care of COVID today, there might be influenza strain coming next time. We'll get other viruses, other bacteria. Uh, we are continuously connected to animals, whether wild or domestic. Mm -hmm. We're con connected to environment. So viruses and bacteria come from all angles. So therefore, let's not be scared uh, that they will happen over and over again. Let's be prepared. Let's learn from the experiences that were done so far. We should have learned from influenza H1N1 outbreak in 2009. Mm -hmm. We should have learned from MERS outbreak in 2013-14. Uh, and we should now learn from COVID. And like, let's have a hospital infrastructures ready on standby. Let's have you know, our surveillances um, on standby all the time. Let's have a global community come together. No matter which country we're in, let's form a network so that we are talking to each other all the time. So even a little spark is already countered rather than waiting for that spark to ignite a big fire. So let's not run around putting out fires, but let's be prepared to see a fire as soon as there is a spark. So I think that is a message I think I would like to give to the global community of public health experts, scientists, and general population, clinicians, everyone, media, everyone. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much, Doctor. I really appreciate your time. Great luck uh, this afternoon. I hope it all goes well, mate, and for you and your organization. And I really appreciate your work and uh, your time with us today. Then thank you so much for reaching out. And um, I wish we could talk longer. And again, I reach out to everyone there. If they have any questions, they can always email me, contact me. I'm sure you'll give them my contact details. And I'd love to interact with any scientist, any public health professional, or even the public. Um, I am available. Awesome, mate. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. You too, mate. See ya. Bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 